sensation and attention are deeply related. Contacting the blind spot is contacting these qualities of attention and sensation in the body. The needs are like describing instinctual destinations, but the approaches are describing like what's happening moment to moment. We have like, like kind of a lot of boundaries around where we can do the blind spots approaches, where it feels comfortable and appropriate, but everywhere else feels really sloppy or dangerous, dull or something like that. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-presed with five wing, four or five eight trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-presed sexual nine with one nine seven four trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an eight wing seven, sexual self-presed with eight five four fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-presed social three wing four with a six nine trifix if you like our podcast guys make sure you go like and subscribe on the apple podcast app and if you really like us you should definitely leave us a review the only thing i'd say in terms of criticisms is that i don't think uh, i'm for obvious reasons that we're not hitting the pain back walls for social last as hard as the other ones yeah yeah no i mean i i think that's very fair and good criticism because I wrote this shit before uh, this year, you know, and right, this year right. has like revealed so much more. And uh, yeah, I definitely want to like update it and give it some pause and, and digest some of this stuff. But yeah, like the social blind pain, uh, just I was blind to it <laughs> until this year. <laughs> until this year. <laughs> Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. It's your cream team. Uh, we are <laughs> returning to. Uh, hawking my new book out, The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, which uh, it's online, on Amazon, on Barnes & Nobles, and probably other online things. And uh, last week, we talked about uh, the significance of the blind spot, I'd say. And this week, we are talking more about working with integrating the blind spot. And um, within that, we're probably going to touch on what I call the instinctual approaches, which are a facet of my book of trying to uh, trying to make distinctions about the quality of attention, energy, and psychological boundaries that the instincts use to meet instinctual needs. And when we are not aware of the ways that the instincts move through our bodies uh, and, and inform our attention, we can mismatch the energy and quality of an instinct trying to meet another need. So sometimes, for example, people will uh, be lonely. A social instinct need will be there, but they'll use sex and sexuality to try to get that need met. And it creates a big mismatch and it leaves us unsatisfied and goes on and on like this. But uh, that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, the last one we did was, I, I listened to that I mean, I have to listen to it a couple of times because I, it. <laughs> but no, it was a really good one just in terms of uh, um, realizing like how the blind spot is the key to doing inner work because, you know, sometimes people look at how do I do inner work on my type, but like the instincts are the pathway to doing that. And then the blind spot is like literally the thing that you got to work on, which is the thing that nobody wants to work on. Right. And 
I was just talking to a friend who is sexual blind and she knows she's sexual blind, but even still she's like, you know, she's blind, but she said something along the lines of like, uh, I still don't quite understand how I'm sexual blind, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that's true for all the instincts. Like, I, I mean, I think I could identify being social blind pretty quick just from feeling so outside of human beings. And I think that self-pres blinds often get a sense that they are fucking chaos. But I think, I think sexual blind is a hard one sometimes for some people um, to get because they can be a very sexual person you know, doing whatever, but uh, sometimes have a hard time seeing it in action in themselves. Well, the problem is the vast majority of people are sexual blind, so it's hard to see how being sexual blind is a problem. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. it fits so nicely into everyday life. Right. Whereas, like, you know, the flip side for social blind is that you recognize that there is a problem, but there's so very few people who are social blind that it's kind of like, well, you know, how do I get help fixing or working on this? There's not very many examples of people to look at, be like, uh, how this is how things are going wrong. At least that's right. a challenge for me. Is there not a whole lot of examples of social blindness to, to reference? Whereas, you know, from a description standpoint, there's a lot you can describe self-press blind pretty easily. And sexual blind is everywhere. So if you are someone who has sexual, you can find it that way. Yeah. That- that's a really good point because of like the challenge of describing the sexual instinct in general, just because there's sort of like the challenge of describing four uh, to people who like might not know any fours. There's like not a lot of cultural space to point to, to be like, that's the archetype or that's the energy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the one thing I wanted to hit on, because I don't think our social ass pain walls were hit hard enough last week is, <laughs> is that uh, part of the thing of not seeing oneself also extends to not seeing others. And I, I notice how social types are immediately sensitive to what other people represent, their intentions, and even like personality is like a construct of the social instinct. So when people ask like, what type of person is this? Or what is he like? Or what is she like? They're sort of asking, what's their personality like? And I can see how a lot of social types get into typology because it, it is sort of like signaling identity to say, this is my type. This is the way I, I am. And I recognize how, as a social blind, I don't pay attention to that aspect until like I'm either repulsed in a really overt way or I'm really activated by someone like I don't pay attention to like what their what their intentions are what they represent um like social types are doing and so in a way I'm not seeing myself and I'm also not really seeing other people yeah and um it's hard to even put words to how that's a a serious problem but uh, (laughs) it is (laughs) yeah it's it's like I I can be very naive about people's motivations and in ways that have sometimes hurt me or like I alluded to in the last one of people taking advantage of me but i also see how i've dehumanized other people like where i've hurt their feelings or made them feel stupid or made them feel unimportant because in a real way they're not important to me like like i'm deleting their humanness Mm -hmm. and seeing them as kind of just a 
a phenomenon in the field of my awareness that I'm annoyed with. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do I have to spend my time and attention of like seeing you as a person or something? And I don't even, you know, I'm not doing this intentionally. I don't know I'm doing it, but mm-hmm. I've come to come to recognize uh, how much I I do do that. You know, one thing that this group has been the most uh, contact that I've had with this many people and, and to watch like social dy- dynamics play out in like a large, massive crowd of people. And so there's some hard lessons that I've had to learn over the last, I don't know, five, six years of being on Enneagram Facebook. And one of them is just like the shock and horror that certain people are a bad match for you <laughs> in in terms of interpersonal space of course i mean i i'm rejecting of most people but there's a sense that mm-hmm. oh we can all just sort of like just hang out in this group and no one like as if we're all like kind of interested in this topic uh recognizing that there are certain people that have certain intentions or identities that will be a huge problem for everyone else involved you know, just the social discernment. I had to learn the hard way. It's like, you have to be kind of like, do your homework and look into people. And this is, I'm sure what all social types are doing on some level, or people have social in their stackings. Like, you know, what's this person about? Like, where, how do they interact with other people in similar scenarios? Kind of like, you know, like you check people's credentials. Like, you know, the reason why we have resumes and and we have all these systems of keeping a social a social report card of just trying to check in with what is the impression that people have of this person. And I had to learn how to do that, and which seems ridiculous to say, but this is something that everyone who has social, I'm sure, is aware of, um, filtering and having some kind of social discernment. Yeah, it happened several times in the early days of Enneagram or universe when, mm-hmm. you know, it's just... Uh, me, Emika, and Joseph, where Joseph would be like saying, hey, red alert about this person. And me and Emika are going, uh, what? Kind of like scratching our heads. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he turned out right pretty much. And he turned out right almost every time. Every, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't yeah. happen right away. We're talking about certain traits that might play out, become problems like a year later or yep. two years later, but he was right on every count. <laughs> Yep. Um, I mean, it's the same thing with y'all that y'all warned me about somebody, <laughs> and and now I just believe you. Like, <laughs> I'm like, assuming nah, you are correct. Yeah. Not, I was like, nah, they're okay. You know, it'll it'll no. work out, and no, it won't. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's been an education on on what social discernment is, but I even still watch myself, uh, like on a moment to moment basis, that there's this backdrop of all this kind of information about people that's there and if i do put attention towards it i can pull it up but there's a part of me i mean my instincts are just like wanting to ignore completely ignore that whole part of people which is fucking weird i mean this is the part of this is what makes this person who they are and i'm just like not wanting to pay attention to that data (laughs) right right yeah i i think as an eight you probably gather more data on people than i do whereas like most people are blanks to me. Like I'll recognize their name or their appearance or something, but I'll have nothing. I'll have nothing. And then, or somebody be like, what is, uh, what do you think of this person? And it's like, either just like, Oh, they suck or they're cool. You know, it's like, that's as deep as it goes. Yeah. There's a whole, well, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So, but, um, 
but the, but it's like there's so many well it's like a i've even described it myself but i don't know it myself but it's like there's a three-dimensionality to the social instinct you know that has all these it's it's like three-dimensional chess where you're tracking all this stuff and you know where people are and it's got that contextual thing and you realize when you sort of are with a social dominant person just how much more sort of information is coming in about people and how many sort of types of intelligence almost there are um within the social instinct yeah mm -hmm. yeah what it feels like to me is that social types are looking to construct a, a personality profile like you know mm -hmm. this person's sort of like they're into this this is how smart they are this is the sort of interests and hobbies they're into and building like a profile that you could hand to someone like a report and say hey mm -hmm. you know this this gives you a snapshot of who who this what type of person what you can expect from them and <laughs> it humanizes someone like it's and whereas with social blind it's kind of like i'm looking for certain things that are going to ping off of my instinct radar and if that person doesn't have those things they're invisible right you know? right yeah it's like uh the echolocation in the in the cave underwater it's like you only get a limited amount of information that there's like a stalactite or whatever you know like there's something coming but, be, but you also run into a bunch of shit because you just don't know what you're doing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean don't get me wrong you get to you know i've gotten to know a lot of people you know you're y'all included and you sort of do pick up the humanness of people and what they're into over time but i'm seeing how i'm actively avoiding this initially like right, right. when it probably matters the most <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah totally it's also how um sort of self-absorbed self-present sexual are relative to people like you know i i'm just looking for what does this person have, you know, in terms of interestingness to me, you know, mm -hmm. to be, I'm, and I'm not taking them in and where they're at and what their history is and the whole bigger picture. Right. Nancy, right. what do you think is uh, <clears throat> some of the toxic social blind traits that we all have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trash us. Um, well, first, before I say that, I, uh, I was thinking while you guys were describing what you feel social is, I, that's like overlapping with like threeness in a, a bit, mm -hmm. which I know three is like a very, I feel like three overlaps with social anyway. Yeah. Um, but like when I get into my type three, like my friends, when they go on dates with people they don't know, they reach out to me and they're like, can you stalk this person on Facebook and find him and like, see what they're like? Mm -hmm. Because I'm really good at it. Yeah. Uh, and I can kind of be like, okay, well, he likes this band. So he's probably going to be a douchebag or he likes <laughs> this band, so he's probably going to be really dope. Or that's all he's going to talk about. There's no in between. And like he has this tattoo. So, you know, like I can kind of create a backdrop for people. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting how I can go into that mode, both having social in my stocking. And that's a very like three thing to do. But uh, yeah, your toxic socialness or anti-socialness. That, I mean, where do I start? Um, 
I would say for specifically David, he never calls me. Um, I don't exist David. to him. Yeah, I always have to call him. He never calls me. And what are, um, what are what are people doing when they call each other? How does that work? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so I have a friend who literally we will call each other every single day at least three separate times. Wow. What? And we just yeah, we just and we don't always talk. We just sort of sit on the phone. Yeah. Part of the social lastness of me is knowing um well, occasionally knowing that you would like to have more phone calls, but I completely forget. I know. <laughs> I don't exist to you until I exist yeah. to you. Like, yeah. I have to show up in your plane of existence. Otherwise, like, you're like, Nancy doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I also feel like there's uh, no verbal cushioning. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense. <clears throat> right. Like any, like, uh, like any sort of a framing like yeah well, framing it's like yeah, segues and stuff yeah there's thing. no um i think david and i maybe david and i were talking about this i've forgotten uh but we we're saying how like normal people in a conversation will like say yes and uh-huh. you guys just say yes and move on <laughs> there's no like oh it. let me add on to your thought there's just that's cool bye that's it <laughs> touch and go yeah so for me it's really confusing (laughs) listening to you and that's why i have a hard time jumping in because i'm like oh well they'll go on on this topic and then i'm like oh no we're done yeah yeah you know that's (laughs) one thing i noticed slow (laughs) that's one thing i noticed listening to the um joseph and alexander talk yes just like how much that they're uh kind of giving each other like a soft landing with from their yeah yeah <laughs> yes. and there's just like a it's like a, i'm with you type of signaling that's going mm-hmm. on you know yes and i think part of what's happening for us is like it's like i know what john or david they might lay out like a like a conceptual like goose egg or something and i'll just pick it up and go but it's related it's kind of like it's kind of like intuitively related <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'll just go in that direction and then they'll pick it up and go in another direction but it's in it makes kind of like a i don't know if it makes like a right brain type of sense in a, in a way like i know we're going lots of different directions but they all kind of have a through line to me yeah anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. i can see how someone who if they're, if you're not following the sort of the jumps how you would be confused if it's not making sense to you then it's like you'd be lost i could see that it's also to me kind of modular it's like i'm gonna talk now for a little bit and then i'm gonna move back yes (laughs) yeah yeah it's very it's very much um uh, unspoken rule that you guys just don't follow (laughs) what what is what's the rule how you talk like you know you i guess we're not affirming well, thing. no, no, no. It's like it's it's like um. There's a certain amount of time that we spend on a topic, and then we move on. And you guys just don't get that. Like for me, there's like in a conversation, I'm like, okay, I can feel that we're done with this topic. Mm-hmm. But like with it, you guys, so we're stopping no, early. Yeah, you, you stop early, and I'm like, oh, there was there was more <laughs> that I would have said there, and it's probably just fluff. 
it's social fluff, right? Um, but like, it doesn't ever feel like we sh- we kind of dig into a topic fully in my mind because it's like, oh, we're mm. done. Oh, oh, we're done. Oh, well, oh no. <laughs> unless you're John, who will just go back to the topic well, from 15 minutes ago. <laughs> John, John is no. That's Shut the he's, fuck up. Because he's because he's not tracking where we're at. So. Exactly. No, John will be done when he's stopped. done. Okay. He stops, he stops too long, right? He goes too long when we're all like, okay, we're done. Wait, so what do I, what do I, I, I know I go on a long time, but do I, what do I do? I like say stuff without any relation to anything else. Is that what's it? Sometimes, but it's That's more funny. of like a, there's a, there's a natural end and you miss it. You just go miles <laughs> past it. Really? Yeah. I'm <laughs> like five minutes ago. Like I will oftentimes be like in my own world and I'm like checking in. I'm like, oh no, he's still going. Oh, man. <laughs> well, this was true much, much early in, in when we were like last year getting into like blast yeah, mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but now i think when we were doing like those type interviews there'd be like you know the conversation would have moved past the point and john would like reference all right i want to go back to the thing yeah, that we exactly. were talking like 20 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> but it's i mean the thing about listening to that is like i don't think that there's anything wrong with that like for no. me for me i mean i could see how that'd be jarring to other people but for me it's like as long as there's sort of like a uh like a line that i can draw through the conversation then like i can follow then i don't care who's talking about what but you know by listening to joseph and alexander i could see how they were sort of carrying each other through the conversation i was like that's really Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's why like talking to a not social type can feel rude because it's like there's an expected like you're carrying me i'm carrying you through this conversation and you guys don't like a not like a social blind person doesn't do that and you're like what the fuck do you not like me (laughs) are you breaking the rules i don't like this yeah yeah there's something what's the word for that is that the signaling part we're not doing we're not doing the signaling well i mean part of it is um that we're i mean it's like we talked about um hating the blind spot last week um it's you think that it is just fluff all of that stuff that people are doing in conversation like so why are you doing it stop doing it mm-hmm. is that the right. part of it right. i mean that's that's a social blind part of it yeah yeah you yeah. want it <laughs> <laughs> i do know that i've heard you know i've seen videos and people talking about like mirroring people and how that's effective and if you want someone to feel understood, you should be like, okay, so what you're telling me is that you're saying blah, 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 blah. And you uh, just yeah. repeat the thing that they said. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can, I can know from as an assertive type that these are things that you should do. If you want to be effective, but. You know, logically, but. I can't, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I watched this video one time where the humans yeah. were doing this thing. Beep, oh, hmm, maybe. <laughs> Alexander and I got into a fight the other day because of the stresses of moving and stuff. And she was like ta- referencing, uh, what was it like, like, oh, this is like a part of the stage of a relationship thing, and da da da. And it was like super social. And she was like, "What do you think about this?" And I was like, "Like, I was basically one point like, I don't understand what you're talking about." <laughs> yeah. And and. And then we had to get to a sexual space and she was like, oh, there he is. You know, like, like that's how she could connect with me. But she was like trying to connect with me to this like social place. And it was like, 
but I just didn't know what the fuck was going on. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I kept, and I kept literally saying that I was like, I don't know what is happening. Like, I don't know what you're wanting. I don't know what's going on. And she was like, not feeling me like present in a certain way that felt connected. And like, we had to be sexual. And then she was like, then she could, you know, relax. And the social thing could, I don't know. Like it it really meant a lot to me. Cause it was like, I can't, do uh like too much of the social stuff because like i don't even know what it is and then her being a social she was like open to seeing where i can come back to that connected space even if it's not necessarily like her language like she can still feel secure in the connection and that was like a big deal yeah i'm thinking now of some clashes i've had in the past with social types and how you know they're looking at the world and situations from the lens of this might mean this kind of um construct or this might mean this about this person and i'm just kind of like refusing to see it refusing yeah. to like i i can't it's like mm-hmm. i I'm, i don't see what you're saying and i and even though there's a part of me that's like there's probably something there but there's something in me that's like fuck this thing that you're bringing up <laughs> <laughs> yep um yeah it's I, I it's hard to kind of photograph that but that's definitely a toxic trait of social blindness is like i'm just a refusal to even acknowledge the to play the game yeah 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 to not even acknowledge that thing that what's the word social web that someone a social type might be pointing out yeah i mean i often like sometimes like when this what what, whatever we're calling the social web is like presented to me i'm like oh okay but let's move to the real stuff you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. So yeah, I've, I'm. I mean, I'm learning with my social type to try to reflective listening and, um, <laughs> like, and and words of affirmation kind of stuff. You know, like just mm. like really articulating things very clearly and not just letting things be. Just like, I love you. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I'm, the other thing that I wanted to say is that when it does happen because i mean social plans we we still do this but we're just not aware of it so so when it does happen it becomes like an explosion that comes out of nowhere of like you might fixate on some kind of social web or contextual web about someone or something and just like blow it out of proportion and because it's your blind spot you're like what the fuck you know because you didn't see it coming oh yeah you you get hit in the face with it and um because it's not something we pay attention to very much and so that's something i've looking back on is you know every now and then it'll be a really overt reaction to some contextual social web thing and my reaction to it is just like out of control (laughs) yes yes yeah i've had that too um do we want to talk maybe about approaches and integrating the blind spot yeah so um as in my book is to talk about uh even before like trying to write about the instincts i i got all kinds of advice about like I didn't see the significance uh, of working on the blind spot the way I do now and the way we've articulated it in the last two episodes. But I, you know, I, I wanted to work on it. I want to understand it. And people would say, like, go to meetings and join clubs and stuff like this and call people. And I just am not, not going to do it. And I realized, like, I had to work with the social instinct as my blind spot, the social instinct that I already had. And in the Gurdjieff work, we work a lot, a lot with sensation. Like the basis of the work is physical sensation. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of training in breath work and breath and sensation are extremely linked. So 
uh, I had some experiences where some people uh, I was I've talked about, I think on the, on this pod before about like being stuck in a bus with this girl and how I started realizing that she was like, our social interaction was affecting me in a physical way. Like my sensation was, I was, I was feeling her influence in my sensation and it was from being in touch with the, that sensation that I knew what to say. Like I have a thing where people say stuff to me and I just don't know how to respond, even if I'm interested. It's like, it's like just being an idiot all the time. And so I was like, wow, this is like a real thing, being in touch with sensation. And so, you know, the development of physical sensation is such an obvious sensation seems like such an obvious thing, but most of us are dissociated from it all the time. And you know, the body is taking in impressions and organizing those impressions below our awareness all the time. And we get just a little fragment of what our body is up to. And what I started noticing uh, in observing people was the ways they would uh, approach instinctual needs. And, you know, I think maybe we, I don't know if we talked about the instinctual needs, which are something I outline in the book, but that depending on our instinctual stacking, we will overdo certain qualities of attention and energy and, and psychological boundaries in pursuing different instinctual needs. And so like if we're a self-prez type uh, and we're trying to address our sexual instinct or our social instinct, uh, we will very likely overdo self-prez styles of approaching sexual and social. And the same goes for the other instincts. And so I started trying to get like a vocabulary of sensation and attention. Like, you know, when you're finding somebody really hot and attractive and you want to get to know them and you're kind of vibing, you have a different quality of attention and energy and your boundaries are different than when you're having an interaction with like a fucking police officer or when you are, uh, you mean you with know, a like pig? when you're what <laughs> I said, you mean with a pig with a pig? Yes. A, a pig. Or when you are, uh, like, I don't know, digging a hole, <laughs> some kind of like, <laughs> like working in your garden or something like that, something kind of self-prezzy or like building something. It's like a different quality of energy. And so uh, I started trying to articulate these in terms of, uh, I call them the instinctual approaches. And there are three basic approaches for each instinct. Should I go over them right now? Or should we talk about something else before I go over them? Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't think you actually covered the need. So maybe you should say something about that okay. first. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this is kind of going back to, I wanted to understand what the instinctual drives really were. Were they modifiers of the main type, like a subtype? Were they clusters of behaviors and traits? Uh, what made, what made an instinct an instinct and why were they relevant to us psychologically? And why were they relevant to us in terms of the Enneagram? And I realized that the instincts based on doing research and just observing, they were motivational drives. And their motivational drives meet specific biological and emotional needs. And we get identified psychologically with these drives. And we get identified with meeting certain needs or making certain needs a priority over others. And so uh, there happen to be nine basic needs. And I just, like, I didn't try to make nine, but nine shows up in the Enneagram. And you kind of know that there's something there. So for these, we have all these needs, most of us do, like some people are maybe asexual or something, but we basically have all these needs and we just prioritize them in a different way. And the priority of dealing with these needs is uh, our stacking. So anyway, 
for self-preservation, the needs are for physical well-being, which is the need to care for the body, including uh, in, intending to melt matters of health and safety and comfort. Uh, there's what I call sustainable self-regulation. And it's the need to cultivate capacities and skills necessary for independent self-regulation and resiliency in the face of challenges. So, you know, like, let's say uh, your house is destroyed in a hurricane and you got to figure some shit out. This is like having some kind of capacity to deal with the, the shit life presents to you under all kinds of stress and upheaval. And then there are resources and foundations, which are, you know, like basically having resources and assets available for our physical well-being. Uh, but our resources, like our home and things like that, become our foundations, like the kind of focal points around which our life uh, organizes. And so they take on greater emotional significance than just having like a bunch of soup in your closet or something like that. It's like you're, you're sort of the, the, the map of your life and lifestyle extends from that. So that's self-preservation. Sexual is the need for sex and to elicit the sexual choice of potential mates. Uh, so this needs some clarification because people get all touchy about sex related to the sexual instinct. In the same way that, that uh, self-preservation drive is not the same thing as the appetite of hunger, Sexual drive is not the same thing as the appetite for sex, but it is the drive to make sure that you have a willing and interested sexual partner in case the appetite for sex arises. Same thing like self-prez is in case you have the appetite of hunger, you have uh, food or whatever available to deal with that appetite. Same thing with sexual instinct is the drive to have somebody attracted to you. So the first need is sex. The second need is chemistry. The need to seek and find complementary energies, including the need to feel really chosen. Uh, chemistry is the means by which we sense a creative possibility and enlivening influences. And then lastly is what I call loss of self. And it's the need to get beyond ourselves and our usual psychological boundaries, a temporary disillusion of the habitual experience of selfhood as a kind of self-renewal. This has a couple of uh, functions like it's not just getting really excited about something or, or merging. It's really this sense of needing to throw off a habitual sense of self. You know, we get that in orgasm, but it's a way of kind of like getting involved in, in certain kinds of experiences or certain kinds of transformational events or interests that really change our sense of self. And I think sexual types are looking to kind of shed their skin so to speak, more than social and self-preservation. And when, when somebody is in touch with their sexual bl blind spot, they start to transform their whole sense of self in like a, a, a full self kind of way, not just like an improvement kind of way. It's sort of like um, an upheaval. So lastly is the social, which the social needs are relatedness, needs to be in a relation, to be in relationship and maintain close emotional contact with others. Uh, this is our need for intimacy and to give and receive attention and care. Uh, belonging is the need to feel a sense of belonging, a sense of uh, that you matter or you're a part of something greater than yourself. And then lastly is like what I call context or vocation, where it's like, you know, the social instinct invites us to see like, what's the nature of this interaction? Uh, like, who are you and who am I? And what are the boundaries and what are the conditions? And I think that leads to a sense of wanting to participate in that in the, in the larger world, and it's, it calls us to develop certain skills and interests and capacities 
that are of benefit to other people. So whether that's being an artist and, and feeling the need to um, show one's artistic gift in perspective, or it's like to become a doctor or something like that to actually improve other people's lives. So these are the, the basic instinctual needs. Does that make sense, everybody? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So before I uh, master blast into the approaches, is there anything else I need to say? I think a lot of people would read the list of the needs and they might imagine that they've got certain instincts covered or they might not even be able to identify a blind spot reading the needs. But mm. it's when you start to get into it's like the needs are like describing a des- instinctual destinations, but the approaches are describing like what's happening moment to moment. Right. And the actual sensation, psychological experience of that instinct. And so when people start to actually feel into what each approach is doing on a physical level, that's when they can actually feel into like that disgust of, oh shit, fuck that, fuck that right. sensation. Um, example, funny example, talking to Beth about this and just, this is like a real basic self pres uh, sensation like I know that we've done things in the past where you talk about like balling your fist and feeling your fist and just sensing into that and that alone freaks her out mm, wow <laughs> oh, just like actually feeling her fist is a really uncomfortable thing yeah interesting <laughs> interesting yeah so that's a really good point because as you said like just listening, looking at a list of needs, like it, it's not really easy to see what your dominant instinct or your blind spot might be. You know, yeah. you could make up all kinds of reasons and explanations for why you could be almost any stacking based on that. Uh, but yeah, it's like the qualities of attention and energy that we use in trying to meet those needs, trying to pursue them, and how they influence our sense of boundaries between other people and and ourselves like how closed off how open how concentrated how dispersed we are and how we are putting something out there or not they all like there's as emica said it's like some things just feel right and some things just feel wrong Mm -hmm. and usually like like let's say like let's say we're sexual blind and we're a very sexual person Using a sexual approach will feel really wrong unless it's like in a very specific condition. And so usually we have like, like kind of a lot of boundaries around where we can do the blind spots approaches, where it feels comfortable and appropriate, but everywhere else feels really sloppy or dangerous or dull or something like that. And so um, I wanted to really like, like the, the approaches were there to try to bring some language and, and architecture to something that's like really ephemeral and intuitive. And, and, you know, I think that with the approaches, there's something that we instinctually feel in other people using, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not there. Like, unless you point it out in yourself, it's kind of hard to pin down. Does that make sense? Yeah. And last, the last call I mentioned the collage exercise being a sort of a manifestation of a visual manifestation of what these approaches might look like aesthetically and how people might um, look at someone else, a a different stackings, collages, and not be reacting to not necessarily the images being different, but just, just the way that they're put together. It's it's so completely different. People are using different sensations and different uh, psychological boundaries to create their, um, their collages that might feel right or feel wrong. 
and I, I think I mentioned this in the last call, but or a recent one, but uh, I had a friend who uh, is sexual blind who is on these dating apps, and like I don't have a lot, I don't have experience with dating apps, but he kept sending me screenshots, being like, "What do I say now? What do I say now?" Because he could not bring it past the friendly social level with these girls he was talking to. Mm-hmm. And he would keep it in this realm. And I would like intuitively know how to make like a joke or uh, something or other that would kind of create some tension. And as a social self-prez, this friend was sort of unconsciously avoiding tension. And tension is a real big part of attraction, but it's also a big part of repulsion which then threatens the social instinct, right? So like, if you don't know this stuff, you intuitively just want to avoid the tension making of the sexual instinct uh, because it seems like a threat to like social connection. But the aim is different. The, so, you know, like every, everybody knows what it's like when somebody wants to connect sexually, but like somebody's being like too friendly and too nice guy and too whatever, it, does, it just feels weird. There's a mismatch there. So for the self-preservation instinct the approaches i've i call grounding which is like really like just rooting oneself it's like literally grounding oneself in the body in your center of gravity um when people say like this person's not grounded or get grounded it's literally what it means and we have more of an intuitive sense than a cognitive sense of how that is but we all know what it feels like we know what it feels like when somebody around us is ungrounded um sensing which is literally sensing into the body's own state and signals it's attention to the the physical feedback and impressions of the body uh and as emika was speaking to with uh his self-presblind partner uh I had, I had an exercise that's real simple where it just like squeeze your fist real hard and squeeze hard and let go and that is physical sensation and a lot of us even if self-pres is higher in our stacking uh, are not in touch with that. And ideally, we'd have a global ongoing sense, meaning total body sense of our sensation, but we have a very fragmentary sliver that we allow ourselves. And then what I call pragmatism, which is more of like the enduring, persistent quality of attention and energy uh, that self-press brings. Self-press has a natural uh, emphasis on longevity. And one way to think about it is like, I know uh, some self-prez blind people that are like, I can't figure out how to do X, Y, or Z. And I was observing self-prez types, like my parents are both super self-prez. And they just give something attention until they figure it out. Like if they need to fix the sink, it's not like they have magic sink fixing powers, but it's like they'll, my dad will just like pay attention to how the thing works He'll give it time. He'll experiment with this. He'll bring out this tool, bring out that tool, and eventually he'll get it done. But people who are blind and self-prez usually give up real quick because there's this unconscious uh, need for mom and dad to take care of me that comes with <laughs> self-prez blindness. Those make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So w- one of the things about being a self-prez type or a self-prez blind type is that we can overdo or underdo all of these approaches. And so like... Uh, Somebody overdoing approach, generally, if we're overdoing it, we're self-prize. And so like overdoing grounding is like never feeling grounded, right? It's like grasping and trying to feel grounded. So like I think of people who like pack way too much shit when they travel. Right. You know, it's like trying to like 
I like, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's like never feeling like you can leave home in a certain way. Like trying to always recreate yep. the turtle shell on you. <laughs> you can even be eating too much, right? It's like I'm not, I'm not feeling solid, and so I'm trying to create this sense of solidity all the time, and I am keeping away things that might bring a kind of upheaval or a kind of. Um, yeah, like a kind of rock in my world. But on the other hand, if I'm underdoing it, especially if I'm self-pressed blind, it's like feeling uh, ungrounded, scattered, frenetic, sloppy. You know, people who are self-pressed blind sometimes like, Jesus, get it together. <laughs> you know, sensing overdoing it is like being hypersensitive, right? It's like being overly comfort-seeking or insular. It's like having way too many blankets on or being like at the mercy of the lighting of the room or something like that. It's just <laughs> temperature is off. <laughs> Whereas if I, <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> uh, whereas underdoing it is like being kind of like numb and desensitized and, and not addressing one's physical problems, even if they're obvious to other people. Um, I have a self-pressed blind friend who like ran his foot through a mirror and was just like, it like cut his leg open big time and he's just bleeding everywhere. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, he has knee problems from like performing and slamming his knee, just kind of ignoring it. And his poor self-pressed girlfriend was like Alex, who has been on the show, uh, throwing some I can't cayenne pepper or something in his yeah. wound. Yeah, just crazy shit. So anyway, like not really aware of what your body's doing or what it's up to, and this can get real bad after years of neglect. And then with uh, pragmatism, you see this in a lot of self-pressed types, like this heavy, hyper serious, like meticulous efforting quality, just like like this, just kind of lacking a certain buoyancy in their approach to life and underdoing it is being helpless dependent on others incapable of doing things self-sabotaging creating disasters all the time and so you know we get in touch with these by actually being present to our physical sensations we've done a lot of talk in previous episodes about what it means to be in touch with sensation and what it means to be in touch with the body and and using breath for that so i won't go into that here but but Keep in mind that it's like when certain sensations correspond to certain ways we focus our attention. And so sensation and attention are deeply related. And it's a whole study in and of itself. But that's really important to understand with contacting the blind spot is contacting these qualities of attention and sensation in the body. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I'm going to get into sexual. But hold on. So someone who's listening to this and has a self-pressed blind spot and wants to know what to do next, mm-hmm. what do you say to them? I mean, I would have them go through a practice of relaxing each part of the body as we've done in previous episodes uh, and breathe and sense with each part of the body. It's like part of the self-pressed blindness is there is a seven-ish quality of not giving things just enough attention, like aborting too quickly mm-hmm. going into the social space going into the sexual space which is more in a sense stimulating than the self-present instinct it feels like for okay. self-present blind people like you're maybe like weighing them down with rocks or something and people like part of the self the, the beauty of self-preservation is just sticking with something mm-hmm. and so you know you need to have it like that 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 fist squeezing exercise or like rubbing your feet on the on the floor taking some time and space to unplug from social and sexual for just a second. 
we think that if we unplug for just a, like a fraction of a second, we're going to sabotage everything. But learning how to be in touch with the body and have patience with the body such that we can not rush the body to tell us what's going on, but to give it that space and care to, to figure out what these signals from the body actually mean. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I've got another comment on self-pres. So as a self-pres type myself, and then on top of that, being a body type, I'm basically kind of over-identified into physical sensation and so forth. And, and it has a kind of, you know, neurotic overwatching, you know, continually monitoring it, you know, like I've talked about in the episode with me and Nancy, kind of Mm -hmm. like I'm looking at my own gauges all the time. And so I'm wondering if there's a way to differentiate that. Um, I mean, this is the kind of thing that's ultimately experiential to get it, but just, is there a way to talk about the difference between what I'm doing and what you're talking about as far as like making real contact with the body in a much more still and non neurotic way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yes. So yeah, I was thinking about doing like a workshop for people who bought the book on this kind of thing and exploring Mm -hmm. this more and actually having uh, my social blind ass was talking to a social friend of mine and realizing how important people sharing their stories about their blind spot is in integrating it and and learning. So like maybe some kind of uh, Mm -hmm. like, uh, what is it? A book like kind of like i hate this fucking word but like a book club or something where like, <laughs> you know and if somebody wants to lead that hit me up because uh i'm i'm shit at that but anyway like that kind of sharing is really like because we're so blind in it but um yeah david like to what you're saying somebody who is overdoing the approaches or or another way to say it is self-pres dominant it's like they've attached a lot of very unconscious and subtle uh, excessive emotional energy around the impressions of the body. Mm, so it's mm-hmm. not simply that they're just super sensitive to the body, but there's an overlay of extra emotion, extra memory in a sense, maybe unconscious memory, but like very early memory mm-hmm. of what it feels like to be deprived of comfort, of food, of mom being able to help the baby relieve different kinds of physical tension. And so it becomes this persnickety, hyper fussy kind of quality. It's a, it's like the disguise of listening to the body without actually listening to the body in the present moment. Yes. And so that becomes a work on how to separate the emotional center from the instinctive center, which mm. is a big part of my book. Uh, but that practice is about learning to be in touch with sensation and feeling and mental awareness, the three centers, and not confuse them and not mix them. And part of that is just simply practicing being present to sensation, because when we are not present to it, we are in a reaction to sensation. And that reaction is full of those extra overlays. So it's like if we learn to cultivate an ongoing uh, intentional attention to sensation, that is a very different quality of like tuning into the body in the present moment a very different quality than if like hunger arises and then this cascade of associations attacks us does that make sense yep it's good 
and this is true for all all three instincts, is that we're hyper focused on the approaches uh, of these instincts because there's these emotional overlays that feel really at the core of our survival and our well being and our reason for existing. So um, I'm gonna hit sexual. Is that cool? Yeah. This is my feeble attempt to keep checking in in a social way without I'm blasting too hard. Um, <laughs> You're nailing it. <laughs> um, so the sexual approaches, and these again are to meet the needs for sex, chemistry, and loss of self. So what I call pursuing, which is locking on to what attracts us with focused energy and attention. It's letting what's extraneous to the attraction fall away, having a kind of tunnel vision on the object of desire. And it seems obvious, but like uh, people who don't have a high sexual might sometimes be intimidated by what's caught their attention and uh, maybe be indirect about it or whatever. But like this is like literally just like locking on, even if you're not looking at the person or something. It's like it's like if you were at a party and you find somebody attractive and it's like there is a tunnel of energy between you and that other person and everything. Everybody else is just a fucking uh, shrubbery in the way. <laughs> and letting that be a real thing rather than just being kind of like ooh you know like just kind of um butterflies there's really like it's not just staring at somebody but it's having your body language having your uh whole energy directed at something um the second one is magnetism oh, real quick before you yeah. move on i wanted to point out that there's a way that this shows up in people's image choices like the way that people who have sexual arrange images that that approach of pursuing or locking on to a focal point like there's this there's gonna even to look at the the fucking artwork uh, with your book there is something in the middle that's red that like draws your attention in a in a very sort of locked on kind of way mm -hmm. and that's like a quality of aesthetics that is i think pointing to this Sense, sensation or approach of there's a thing to be locked onto here right totally and and you know they for, for i think somebody who is low sexual uh it can feel selfish it can feel invasive it can feel kind of like intrusive to other people there's like a, a lot of super ego around why it's bad you know and we're narcissistic way right so i'll say like with overdoing it if especially if you have a higher sexual instinct it's being obsessive, craving, possessive, uh, getting addicted to somebody, being kind of insatiable. It's like having just like, uh, you know, like a treating somebody like a drug, but in like a addictive, compulsive kind of way. And I want to emphasize that this is not just sexual dominance. Like, like you can be sexual blind and then something kicks your sexual instinct into awareness in a new way. You fall in love or something like that. And it can go this way. Uh, so there's a lot of fluidity in it. It's not like super rigid. Like I think people listening might go, Oh, I've had moments of life like that. Even if sexual is not my dominant, totally, you can totally be all over the place and imbalanced. And it's like, uh, it's something to track. And, and these again are just sort of guideposts in not so much nailing down what's my type, but what is my specific relationship to all these energies in this moment, in this moment, in this, and then underdoing pursuing like when my attention is either dispersed or scattered, when I'm either indirect or formal or overly stable or kind of stuffy in my uh, approach to things. Um, but there's also this kind of repetitiveness. And what we spoke to last episode about like, like fuck boys <laughs> is, 
getting habitual about hooking up. Yeah. And um, part of like, and, and David spoke to like that, that there's a lack of being hooked there. And this is a part of that of like part of pursuing is like, you're hooked by something and you want to, you want to hook it. There's some thing at stake in a way. And so when you're underdoing it, there's a arm's lengthness, even if you're all up in someone's genitals, right? Yeah, yeah. The second approach is what I call magnetism. And something I want to like get here is that people would often associate charisma with sexual. And even though charisma and magnetism, you can kind of make them the same thing in your head. Uh, I think charisma is more of a social instinct thing. By magnetism, I mean displaying oneself. Uh, and there's a bit of a, a vacillation between push and pull, pushing attention on something and then pulling it back. There's kind of creating intrigue and interest, tension and preoccupation. There's a lot of provocation. It can be aggressive, uh, provo pro a provocative display to draw attention with the aim of attracting and repelling. So, uh, you know, charisma has more of like, wow, they're naturally likable. They're naturally admirable. It draws everybody in. Magnetism is going to be off-putting to some people. And that's yeah. the point. Um, and I think like Obama is a social type who's very charismatic, however you feel about him as a person. He's very charismatic. But like Prince is very magne magnetic, and I don't think he's charismatic at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a different quality of energy because uh, magnetism is penetrating which inevitably it has to be repulsive to some people in order for it to be really magnetic. Effective, right. Like it's not going to be charisma is sort of like you can grab the attention of the room just because someone has some kind of a charismatic presence that, that pulls a lot of people in. Whereas magnetism is going to like uh, a percentage of the room is going to be really into this and the other percentage is not going to be. And that's how, you, that's why it's magnetic. Right. Yeah, with, with somebody magnetic, uh, you know, you want to, like, grab them or to get away from them. Uh, but with somebody who is charismatic, like, people talk about, like, basking in the glow, right? Yes, or, like, yeah. like, them as kind of like a solar energy that you are yep. feeling uplifted or radiated by or moved by. And, and, and you're not, like, moved emotionally by magnetism. You're intruded upon in some way. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and so for somebody who is overdoing uh and over identified with uh magnetism there's you know provocation being alienating exhibitionistic creating spectacle and you know you see this in like sexual types that make you cringe you know just like fucking yep. chill, like god <laughs> we yeah. wouldn't know anything about that yeah <laughs> no <laughs> you know revealing my nipples at any possibility you know um, <laughs> whoops there goes my shirt yeah yeah uh yeah and uh <laughs> but there is an aspect of magnetism that i think is kind of interesting that i've i noticed pretty early on is that some people can do it in a distorted way where it's like i almost go towards this like sexual grotesque flavor and yeah. it's almost like it's almost like instead of just being provocative to create polarization it's like there's a there's something there there's some kind of juice but it's largely like almost grotesque or too much. Uh, and I, I'm, I, I don't have a lot of language for it or like a lot to point to, but I see it in certain subcultures where there's a gravitation towards this sexual display that's like almost intentionally grotesque. And then underdoing it, underdoing magnetism, trying to be neutral, appropriate. It's a, sort of a self-rejection, hiding oneself, 
uh, and being bland. And so like people who are sexual blind can sometimes feel uh, judgment or self-criticism through the descriptions of sexual blindness of feeling bland or unattractive. And like, oh, there's fucking a lot. I mean, I'm with a sexual blind person who's fucking the hottest person I know. Uh, but they do a lot. They don't, they don't always recognize how much they're hiding themselves or how much they're managing themselves, how much they are um, filtering their expression. And it has a way of dampening some, like the kind of chaotic, unpredictable quality of attraction. Like you can't choose who you're attracted to and you can't choose who you're not attracted to. And part of attraction is this, what we spoke to last time is this like pheromonal quality, metaphorical pheromonal quality of like, if your hair is just going crazy and your, your style and your dress and your smell is certain crazy, like some people are going to dig that and some people aren't. And there's like a lack of control over it. So, so when underdoing magnetism, it's kind of like trying to fit into a box, but it's, it's, it's like suppressing those things that can't be boxed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Suppressing their sexual or attraction flavor, like whatever that might be. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, like the hair example is a good one. It just, um, you know, like there's a recent natural hair movement that's been picking up the last couple of years. But before that, I mean, still is just like there's an appropriate hairstyle for work. And, right. you know, just people just having certain haircuts that fit a certain mold. And sexual is kind of like, well, you know, your hair is going to look a certain way if you just let it grow. And that's, that's going to be your instinctual pheromonal flavor or display. Right. Like a real clear example of this is like anything professional. Yeah. Like (laughs) professional culture, professional, like all the things that we associate with being quote unquote professional is major sexual blind and major suppressing this, especially this magnetism. And so the next one I call intensification and it is, uh, you know, it's like amplifying and galvanizing your energy and excitation. And part of the aim of that is it's not just being excited in some like, Oh, this is cool. But there's a quality of like almost getting hot to melt your boundaries and other people's boundaries. You know, there's like, I just, this stupid thing that comes to my head, but like Nelly's hot in here. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, he's not talking, you know, it's like, there's something like, like you want to take off your clothes literally and metaphorically. Yes. And, um, part of like what I've noticed in my own, like weird quasi autistic social blindness <laughs> is that I will get like into something and I'm start like, kind of like radiating with it. And, uh, people go like, Whoa, you know, like you real this really has an impact on you, huh? And it's like, Part of the, I unconsciously, what I like realize I'm doing is like, I'm not just, I'm, I'm both responding to how turned on I'm being by whatever I'm talking about, but there's also a way that I am hoping to kind of put an energy out there that will dissolve something, you know, that's like encouraging people to drop what's habitual. And does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also quality of energy, quality that you're of experience that you're looking for in yourself like you're looking to blow some shit up in yourself and come out the other side completely um different and altered in some kind of way and so this is the part of the sexual drive that is looking to self-mutate exactly through some kind of experience yeah you gotta you gotta have that jet fuel mouth that's those steel beams you know like you gotta you got to have something that's alchemical. And part of that is like, Ooh, it's not like, it's not just incitement intensity or passion, but there's a quality of like 
getting turned on by something. So overdoing it, this is violating energy. It's like discharging or blowing off your energy. Uh, dis it can be destructive. It can be pushing people past their limits, pushing yourself past limits. Uh, there's a kind of like, I don't, I, I hesitate to say this, but sort of like a rapey vibe, you know, like, <laughs> even if it, like it, there's something about taking advantage of somebody else's energy in this yeah. and, and pressing your energy way past somebody else's boundaries. Does that make sense? That's how Nancy is with me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've seen it. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to confuse you. This is why. Well, it's part, this is part of my it's approach. Working. This is no. magnetism. Yeah, you're trying to disorient me so you can yeah. take me home. Yeah. So you so you can mutate. <laughs> so underdoing it is being uh passive, stale, maybe frigid, maybe puritanical, or just having like a dry affect. So gotta get that intensification going. Um, and again, this is through physical sensation. This is something that is actually already going on beneath the surface of your awareness in your body. It is responding to things. It takes time to build the muscle and kind of language of how that's operating, but it's working with the sexual instinct you've already got and learning how to not just tune into those sensations, but to give those sensations a kind of a platform or stage in your own awareness. Like we often uh know that this is going on on some level but we don't we're like oh but that's not an appropriate place to express it and part of the sexual instinct is like i'm expressing it as it's coming up and i'm not giving a shit about appropriateness it's interesting uh, to look at the certain boxes that sexual blindness might show up in culture where these are the boxes where it's okay for it to be expressed in some weird way like right. looking at like um sports and you know, which is a very SPSO kind of a thing, but there's this trying to get to this peak orgasm experience that happens when people score a goal and there's like a big explosion yeah, and exactly would just, oh, you know, and um, how many <laughs> sports where there is this peak moment where everyone loses their mind and um, just self-annihilation in so many different ways where people like getting super high on drugs or getting super fucked up uh alcohol like wanting to just fuck themselves up <laughs> that right. like, you know shadow sexual shit right exactly and yeah like i um yeah it's in it's in my book also like i i have what i call like compartmentalized approaches where there are ways that we can be so deeply unconscious or out of touch with our instincts they start acting out in a way that we have a hard time owning and like some of this shit is like bordering on that where there's a way that we're getting the charge of one instinct in a kind of mixed up way through another instinct. So the compartmentalized approaches, why I call them compartmentalized is because they start acting outside of our habitual self-image and self-concept. And so when other people are like trying to give, to, to bring our attention to these things, these ways we're acting out, uh, we have a really hard time owning it. And we won't see it in ourselves. And it becomes almost like, like it can get, this is like where we get really mentally ill and fucked up. But uh, yeah, that's kind of like leading into those, that like compartmentalizing or splitting off an, uh, uh, an instinct such the approaches get really bizarre. You know, I was just thinking that maybe each stacking has their own version of the, like a shadow 
expression of that instincts are like you know like the sports example would be an spso example and i was yes. thinking maybe sosp has their own expression of the shadow sexual instinct through the lens of the social instinct because you know that's that's the pathway that that uh, last think, instinct would be expressed i think like a lot of um s and m people are sosp yeah dominate yeah. dominatrix stuff because you're playing with social roles and hierarchy right. yeah right right, right. right. No. I think like uh, Marilyn Manson has a lot yes. of like social self-pres stuff that's like the sexual coming through this weird fucked up channel sometimes. Yep. <laughs>